0: It is Locked on Jazz for the 15th of December. We're lucky enough to have Jake Madison of Locked on Pels joining us. We'll talk about Zion's defense. Are the Jazz the only one to expose it? How's the Pels rebuild something similar to what the Jazz can look at? And what does he want to know about the Utah Jazz? Plus, the Pels and the Jazz get ready to go again. We do our late game watch on a Thursday, Indiana. With a three play sequence that's super interesting. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow. Hmm. Pow's not working today. There it is. You are
1: Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Special show today, Jake Madison will be joining us in just a moment. He's from Locked on Pels. He'll join us uh, and join the show, one of the original Locked on podcasters. Uh, it is, uh, we are free, we are available on all podcasting apps, so please, and we're on YouTube, so if you have thoughts on our conversation coming up with Jake, we're going to touch on, are the Jazz the only one who expose Zion's defense? How similar is the Pels rebuild in that they traded Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and we traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and what can we learn from the Pels rebuild that is obviously successful, they're number one in the West right now. And then uh, he has some questions about the Jazz. And then we'll do a late game watch. i have got about five games we'll talk about. But really an interesting three-play sequence by the Indiana Pacers. That's all coming up on today's edition. Here's my friend Jake Madison. So we're joined by Jake Madison, an original potter. Locked on Pelicans, one of the guys in the network I'm most thankful for because when I called him when he was drunker than a skunk during Mardi Gras, he said, yes, it's probably the only good decision he made while being drunker than a skunk um, and accepted it. And seven years later, he's still doing our podcasts. So, you know, who knows that story is actually true. Um, the And then if his video is not as clear as mine because just to add flavor to things, they didn't have hurricanes this year in New Orleans. So he's in a bunker right now doing the show via a tornado watch, or actually I think the tornadoes actually touched down. You, you actually could get up and have no nothing left. Th- this could be the last thing you do.
1: You know, I hope it doesn't come to that, but the tornado touched down about a mile away on a Wi-Fi hotspot here, so trying to make do. But look, this is a fun series. These are two fun teams. I wanted to make sure we were talking about them. So tornado or no, weather events down here in New Orleans, we're used to them.
0: So... The line was Pelicans by one and a half. Somebody might have said to Ron Boone before the game, I don't know who this would have been. Wow, I might put six months of mortgage on the Pels tonight. And the Jazz win by 20. How surprised were you on what we saw on Tuesday night?
1: I was fairly surprised. You know, sometimes just those type of games happen over an 82-game schedule, right? You know, the Pelicans were on a seven-game winning streak. They've been playing really excellent basketball, top five offense, top five defense, first in the West. You know, it's an 82-game schedule. It's a two-game season. Sometimes just bad games happen. So I think you could kind of see early on in this one that it just wasn't the Pelicans' night. And those happen, so you just try not overreact to it. So... It's surprising that it could have been like any game that this was going to come up in, I guess. It just seemed with them playing some of their best basketball, it wasn't going to be like right now.
0: So I have one question and maybe we'll play tomorrow night and we're recording this on Wednesday. And then it'll seem like a stupid question, but we've played you twice and make sure you understand this. I I think Zion is like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Don't, don't, don't get lost in my next question. But in both games, the Jazz have done a pretty considerable job of exposing him defensively. Like the three fouls, one was offensive, but the other two were both specific actions in which the Jazz went and got Zion involved. And then if you recall, when we played the last time, the game actually changed when Zion went out. We couldn't score when Zion went out of the game because we had been exposing him fairly significantly in that game. Last night, his defensive rating was the worst of any player on the Pelicans. Is it something unique to what the Jazz do? Have other teams tried this? Is this, or is this a nightly thing? And usually, you get through it.
1: You know, it, it's a good question because he's been very good, I have thought, defensively this year, as the Pelicans' defense has obligated to start the year where he sold and defense hasn't really been a knock on him as much this year. But you saw him in a lot of pick and roll actions and things like that to kind of get him in a spot where they could take advantage of it. Other teams really haven't done that enough. Usually he's kind of roaming on the weak side, which is where he's best in kind of making plays there. He's got a very good instinct for the ball, getting a lot of blocks from the weak side, from behind, being able to just go in when someone else is defending the, the offensive player and ripping the ball out of their arms, something like that. So it was a smart move by them to kind of put him in those actions and really target him defensively but he's been moving his much better he's one-on-one defender it's just kind of one of those games you mentioned the foul trouble and that's really where i thought the game kind of swung in the jazz's favor when he left that game in the second quarter with about nine and a half minutes to go. he's only scored nine more points the rest of the way out, which was pretty abysmal. There was just no scoring without him. You know, and at that point, it just seemed like everything started going downhill. So I don't know how much more to read into that game from the Pelicans' side of things, but certainly getting him in foul trouble and getting him out of the game. Look, he's the best player on the court for New Orleans. If he's not out there, they're going to, at times, struggle. I think this is one of the deeper teams in the league, role players they have, but that's because the role players, all of them work Zion and aren't necessarily capable of like taking over the game themselves.
0: Well, you made a great point in your show with Antonio Daniels about how deep your team is, but you also put the caveat on it. Like, I don't see Jose Alvarado starting on 20 teams. He just happens to be on our bench. I don't see Najee Marshall starting on 20 teams. He just happens to be on our bench. It's that they fit perfectly. And you're exactly right. When Zion went off the game before CJ McCollum came back on the floor, it was like, they don't have anyone out. The Jazz, I remember the Jazz turned it over and as the play-by-play announcer, I was like, you cannot do that right now. You cannot turn it over because they have nobody to score in the half court. So do not turn it over. Let me back up one second. Super interesting if this is the case. So what the I see the Jazz do with Zion, and you talk about him being on the weak side and being a great weak side defender, which is exactly, I'm certain it's true because you watch all the games and do a great job. So we run the most off-ball screens of anyone, the third most off-ball screens of anyone in the NBA, the most of anyone in the Western Conference. And so, if you're hiding Zion on the weak side, we're going to turn it into an off-ball screen on the weak side. And he's now switching and reacting. And Markkinen's curling on. The, that's how he got his third foul, is off an off-ball screen where he was hiding on a linic. Mm-hmm. A linic set a pick on Mark, and Markkinen curled in the front, and that's also how I think he ended up with like his fourth foul at one later in the game when he uh, tried to defend it in the middle of the, in the middle of the lane. Um, so that is interesting. There might be something unique to this matchup in the style of play. I don't know if you've played Cleveland or Charlotte yet, but they're the only other teams that run more off-ball screens, Cleveland's running them to get Donovan the ball in a different way than we are.
1: It's interesting you mentioned, Charlotte, that was the second game of the season for New Orleans they kind of struggled in that one. and the impact that you would have liked to have seen or expected to see from it? And it was actually Jonas Valanciunas, kind of the hero of the game and won it for New Orleans in that one. Maybe there is kind of something to what you're saying with teams – kind of turning those those ball screens around to really kind of get him on ball and kind of take advantage of, at that point, what then becomes probably the weakest aspect of his defensive game. It's
0: interesting. I mean, matchups are so are unique in this league. The Jazz are unique because... You're right. You can't, they can run a pick and roll with a Linux, They can run a pick and roll with and They can run a pick and roll with Vanderbilt. They don't run a lot of pick and roll, but there's actually no one you can put Zion on who we're not going to put in the pick and roll if Zion's on them, right? If if Zion's on them, whoever that is, is in the pick and roll. Whereas Phoenix is running the pick and roll with Aiton. They're not really running the pick and roll with anyone else at that point in time. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the Pels, I mean, I think it's totally legit. I don't misunderstand. I opened with a kind of a, the first question I actually have about this matchup specifically tonight. Um, When you when you're watching the steps they're taking, how much do you stem it back to the fact that they got a playoff series last year that they got in the playoff play in they surprised two teams, they won two games and they got a playoff series as what has driven this jump this season.
1: I think it's huge. I think it's huge. And Antonio Daniels, you know, locked on friend who was on the show yesterday, he said that as well. And I posed that same question to him. And I just asked this of Larry Dance Jr., who's joining the show tomorrow. That he this playoff series kind of none of these guys have had postseason success other than maybe CJ McCollum. You've had Larry Nance Jr. who's made it to the finals and got swept after a midseason trade to Cleveland, but no one's kind of gone through that kind of growing process, that building process of like finding out what it takes to be a winner and how do you close out games and all of those things with it, right? And you always try and bring in a veteran to kind of like teach that, you know, J.J was the guy early on here in New Orleans. I've seen that at various times during Anthony Davis's tenure here. But there's no way to kind of like teach what you need to do to win without just kind of like figuring it out and letting it happen. So going through that play-in tournament, winning two games against the Phoenix Suns, I think was kind of really big for these guys to get a taste of that. You know, in that playoff series, game six was a home game for New Orleans. And after it, Brandon Ingram stormed off the court. He was not doing an interview after, he was not gonna go talk to a single Suns player, he went straight to the locker room. And I kind of love that attitude, right? He, it hurt him. He took it personally in a sense and probably wanted to never experience or feel that kind of struggle again. And so to let that translate to this season to kind of drive them and improve them, I think it's important. And I think it's why sometimes this is a larger conversation, right? You know, teams want to tank and you always want to sink towards the bottom get a better pick. And you don't, you know, being an eighth seed and getting swept in the first round is not a good position to be in for long, term except it does you know I think that brought this group together Larry Nance Jr. was just talking to me about how he's never been in a locker room this close that's rooting as hard for their teammates who are you know they're competing for with minutes for spots for future contracts with and I think that's really been kind of like an x-factor a game changer for New Orleans was going through that process last year getting a taste of the postseason bringing them together and now they can translate that to the regular season.
0: I mean, it's interesting. You guys are somewhat of a parallel. Like you're a team that Jazz fans should look at, right? Like you traded Anthony mm-hmm. Davis, got a bunch of picks, and ended up now. You hit it. You hit you hit with Zion, right? Like it all comes back to you got the number one pick and you got the number one pick in the right year. Um, though that has not been an easy run, only 107 games right. now in in three and a half, three and a half years. Um, but I mean, what would you tell jazz fans about the post trading Anthony Davis? run that the Jazz are now on, having post-traded Donovan. Frankly, you traded Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. We traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It's really similar. Actually, let's pause there. It's too long an answer. That will call a tease in the business. Jake Madison will answer that question when we continue here on Locked On Jazz. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. For your second listen, make sure you grab Locked On Sports today Uh, Your 22-minute recap of all things in the world of sports. It is Locked On Sports today. Today's show is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You may know all about ExpressVPN. They protect your privacy and security online, but there's now something here, something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are not available in other countries. Maybe you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. You got the Netflix black screen like my friend Jeffrey. Uh, ExpressVPN allows you to binge The Office on UK. It's so simple to do. You just sign into Netflix, fire up ExpressVPN app, change your location to UK, refresh Netflix, and that's all. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want uh, sites to think you're located. You can choose from over a hundred different countries. So just imagine Netflix libraries you can thought you could go through. ExpressVPN to watch shows is because. It's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. It also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the big screen, on the go, wherever you want. Call right now. If you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, go to expressvpn.com slash locked on. Right now, you can get three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash locked on. Expressvpn.com slash locked on. To learn more and finally today's show is brought to you by a very important message which is you're hanging out with some friends it's the holiday time everyone's out one too many and the evening comes to an end and people start to head out come on now let's make sure we all make it through the holidays let's do the right thing let's not worry let's not play some silly game i'm sure it won't happen to me nope everyone knows there's massive risk of drunk driving and the results are tragic and often deadly however it still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel. So help your friends, help yourself. Police officers will be out to punish you, but the real reason is you don't want to be involved in something that might kill someone else. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, plan ahead and get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change a life for someone forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. I'm David Locke, as you know. He's Jake Madison. He's locked on Pelicans. He's an original Potter. We love him. Uh, he's been around forever. It's great uh sometimes i even sometimes i even give the appropriate respect to the original potters that they deserve um the we were just talking you guys traded drew holiday and anthony davis we traded rudy gobert and donovan mitchell it's it's eerily similar frankly uh what would you tell jazz fans about the route you've been on since those two trades
1: you know, it's, it's have some patience. There's There's two things that I think are really important to this. The first is have some patience. There's going to be down periods, there's going to be periods where you drink- Guys, and they don't look particularly good, and you're struggling to kind of see the vision from this team. And it feels like you're kind of never going to get out of this. But it's if you have trust in the front office and they have belief to be able to go execute their vision, which maybe comes down to ownership more so than anything else, I'd say, you know, you can really kind of see it through to the other end. It definitely seemed with that Anthony Davis trade request that this was going to be a real long time till there was kind of any positivity here in New Orleans. There were ups and downs with Zion. You mentioned, you know, only a 107 games that he's played in the nba so far last year was pretty dark for the most part till they turned it around at the end of the season and now you're really starting to see the vision come to fruition zion's healthy the role players which work really well around him fit perfectly makes this team for ones one of the more fun teams to watch in the league and then kind of on the fan side you know it's really been fun to see the fan base grow with you know the the young draft Picks, the young players coming in, not a lot of excitement. And some people have really, really stuck through that for the long haul and are now enjoying more so than ever. And you can kind of see that energy be infectious. The two games against the Phoenix Suns that they just had this past weekend felt like playoff games. And it just has. Kind of brought this whole community aspect to everything. You know, people know each other at the arena now that they wouldn't have known before. They're just making friends all over the place, and it's really fun. And it feels like they've kind of grown along with them too. And it's just made the atmosphere so much better.
0: So it's interesting. You you never have lost. You've never uh, won less than thirty games. So you never really bottomed all the way out. You got Zion. You also had Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. And I mean, you got a lot from the Lakers. I mean, everyone's got a fantasy t- league in their team in their fantasy football league you want to trade with. The NBA has the Lakers. Like, that's how it works. Like, if, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, yeah. Mike Masala for Zubak, like the Clippers did it too. Patrick Beverly for Taylor Horton Tucker. We did it. Like,
1: trade it with the oh, Lakers. Oh, look, like, the, the, Every every Pelicans fan favorite team, second favorite team is whoever's playing the Lakers because they have the right to the pick swap. And in theory, if the Lakers end up with the number one overall pick in this year, that's coming to New Orleans, which is just, I don't know, it's like a fun aspect of the thing. Every late night West Coast game, people are staying up rooting against the Lakers.
0: Well, we do that just to root against the Lakers because they're the yeah. Lakers. But I mean, so the Jazz have suddenly done this where they were supposed to be terrible and they, they didn't get Brandon Ingram, they got Lowry Marketing. Like the parallels just keep going,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So- uh, and Vanderbilt looks like a great complimentary year. young player too. Like, you know, you get pieces back and kind of build around those and you can do it without going like a Thunder rebuild, right? Where you're just completely bottoming out, tank, you know, tanking. And it's now, if you have your star in Markkinen, it's find the right complementary pieces around him. And I think that's definitely kind of a path that you can see the Jazz being on right now.
0: I think Ingram and Markkinen are similar. I think they're both super good. I think they're probably both all-star caliber. I think they both can win you games. I'm not sure either of them is a star you should build around all the way.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look, you you saw what Brandon Ingram was capable of doing last year for New Orleans, which is getting him to that play-in tournament. They improved significantly after adding C.J. McCollum, a more complimentary player, right, than a star player. He's never made an all-star game, but he's been kind of borderline and close. But I agree with you. At times, it feels like they're not necessarily number one guys. I think for the Pelicans, this Seven game, it's now eight games, so they're 7-1 and one with the loss to the Jazz. You know, without Brandon Ingram, and one of the more important things from that you could maybe take from it is it kind of taught Zion he needs to be the man he needs to be the alpha to use that phrasing on this team and he won player of the week because of it and I think that was important for him to realize this is your team like go out and dominate do the things that you need to do and everyone else will work around you and that's our path to winning games but you're in a good position I think with Utah to figure out if Markkanen's that guy you know he he's the man to take the shots he's the one to kind of lead him right now you should get a pretty good read on that situation I would think
0: for those who Pels went uh, their last year with Anthony Davis, I believe when they commit, made the trade, they went thirty-three and forty-nine. Then they went thirty and forty-two in the seventy-two game season. Then they we went back to eighty. Then we played seventy-two games, right? We did that back-to-back back years, mm-hmm. is that right? I think. Um, yeah. They went thirty-one and forty-one, kind of in a disaster with Stan Van Gundy for a single year, just kind of a mess. And then last year they went thirty-six and forty-six after a slow start with Willie Green made the play and then made the playoffs and lost. their eighteen and nine. Um, now, so in the third, you know, I never know where the rebuild starts, but in the third or fourth year and obviously getting Zion, the other one that's interesting in your regard is you've had a lot of draft picks and you've pr- almost slipped a coin on them, right? Like I'd say, yeah. Kyra-, Kyra-, Kyra Lewis, we'll see. I mean, the ACL is really too bad, but he might, that Jackson Hayes, those are two picks that probably as of right now, an eighth pick. And I, uh, I think Jackson Hayes was an eighth pick and Lewis was a 13th he was eight. pick that are not coming around. Then Herb Jones second round pick has been terrific for you. It looks like you got a pretty good kid in Dyson Daniels. So, and Trey Murphy, it's interesting, you know, picking is hard. So you get, you better get a lot of shots with these draft picks.
1: Uh, That's the key with that. That's one of the things I've learned throughout this whole process is like, you know, it's, it's not going to work out on everyone. Look, you have one of them too. And Nikhil Alexander Walker had a minor little revenge game there the other night as well. And he didn't work out in, in New Orleans. And it's uh, that's a big part on the rebuild, right? Like that's where you've got to just take your shots on guys you feel good about and just know that they're all not going to work out. I've seen people call the, what, 2019 draft, whatever Zion's draft year was, a disaster, right? People didn't work out. Jackson Hayes is probably not going to be on the team next year, nor should he be. And really, they only came away with Zion from that one. But it's the guy that you needed, and it makes that draft worthwhile. Then Kyra lewis Jr you know I don't think he was truly turning a corner before the ACL tear last year but Dyson Daniels looks really good Trey Murphy I think is going to be a starter in this league and a pretty good one and then herb Jones with limited a limited ceiling on his offense you know defensively is one of the better wing Defenders I think in the NBA right now Th- that that works if you can go 50 50 on your draft picks outside of like the cornerstone player I think you're in a good spot you know I've talked to NBA GMs it, it's a crapshoot at times, right? Like that's why you need to take as many shots as possible. And that's why you look at some teams that don't have some of those draft picks. Or, you know, when I hear the talk of uh, draft picks are overrated, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes you just need to do those to take your shots and see if those guys work out.
0: No, they're probably overrated in the sense that they're really difficult to hit. That's why you need to go get four of them from Minnesota and three of them from Cleveland.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, right, no, if, I mean, if you get two starters from that, that is worth it. When you look at the hit rate after the top five of the draft, you know, when, when you draft someone at like eighth overall, Jackson Hayes, you know, people are, you know, upset about that. Look at how many players taken behind him haven't worked out in the NBA or are only like marginally better. And that list is going to be shorter than you think.
0: I haven't updated this in a while, but it was uh, most recently, which was about two or three years ago when I did this. The after the 11th pick in the first round, you're at a 49% chance of having a rotation player. So, one out of two is gonna be rotation,
1: rotation player. player, not even rotation. a starter. Like, right.
0: the interesting is the Jazz, I think, already have not, not today, but eventually they have one starter from the Gobert trade already. Walker will start. Walker Kessler will be a starter in the NBA. He's he's good. like he'll, he'll, he'll be really good.
1: good. Like, credit him, by the way, for after getting that dunk on him by Zion, like not backing down. And I was kind of impressed with the way he finished. And that's the type of moment that could be so demoralizing. And he didn't really let that affect him.
0: I have one more Pelicans question for you. Um, Cause I'll just be self critical, annoying self, but what's your, any question or th- th- this on the jazz and, and what we're doing or anything there? I don't know how you, you know, this is really for locked on jazz. You may bonus episode it over on locked on pals. So we'll see. Um, but um, any questions or thoughts you have for us?
1: Uh, so Can I ask like a high level thousand foot one? Do you think they're trying to be competitive this year? Do you think, you know, if you would make a prediction of what it's going to look like as we get closer to the trade deadline, just on locked on NBA the other day, I did it where we were talking, you know, December 15th, likely when people are listening to this, 74 more players can be traded. The jazz are a really intriguing team, right? I think there's a lot of reason to push for the, you know, whatever playoff spot it might be. I think there's a ton of value in that. And if you think there are starters on this team for the future, future do you think it's worth going for that do you think if they are going to go for that or are they going to maybe kind of opens up a little bit more at the trade deadline like what do they end up doing with a guy like colin sexton
0: so colin sexton i think is here he's on a four year 70 million dollar deal so i think he's here but um here's i actually think tonight's interesting like if the jazz go beat the pelicans twice in a row and they move to 13 and six in which games in which mike conley has started with I think it would be 10 of those wins against above 500 teams. You might have to be like, okay, we're pretty good. Like, yeah. And, and I think, so I think there's a, and then we go to Milwaukee. our next two games on the road are Milwaukee. Do we do Milwaukee, Detroit, Cleveland, or Milwaukee, Cleveland, Detroit? It's the garden state of the garden states of the Midwest tour. We get in the middle of December, Milwaukee, Detroit, and Cleveland in some order there. So you're playing Cleveland and Milwaukee back to back or right in there. I think that's an interesting little litmus test as well. Here's the, here's my guess. This is truly a guess. Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have made the comments that lead you to believe that every decision is being made in a 36- to 48-month window. Which is probably the same thing the Pelicans are doing after they trade Anthony Davis. So you can be where we are right now and be really good. If somebody offers a decent first-round draft pick for one of our players, I think you have to move them. Because in the 36- to 48-month window, that's the right move to make. So in that sense, I think if somebody comes in and makes the offer, you know, a a reasonable offer, now it's just not that easy. You're not trading $20 million players for first round draft picks. You have to bring $20 million back. So it gets a little much more complicated than that. On the other level, the one I brought up on the end of Locked on Jazz yesterday was if you're really, I think we're 12 and six now in games, which Mike Conley has started. And Nikhil Alexander-Walker is doing a nice job right now as, as the backup point guard, but I'm not sure that's his natural thing. Or do you go get Corey Joseph? Like, do you go get, like, do you do something surprising where you go take, like, I, I'm pretty certain, like, a ball of bags can get you Corey Joseph right now. He's the backup point guard for the Detroit Pistons who, like, he's, he's a, but, like, do we go get some depth behind Mike Conley so that when Mike Conley goes out, because he's 34 years old, you actually can stay above water better than we just did? Um, I don't, you know, you don't know, there's no need for you to know this, but in, without Mike Conley, the jazz were one in six in clutch games. That's literally what happened to this team is they went to five game, they were in every game and with five minutes left, they no longer had a point guard who had ever played in a close last minute game. And then they just fell apart in every single one of their turnover rate went from 11% to 30%. Like it's, there's really nothing else to add about what happened. It's pretty absurd. Like that's it. So it's an interesting thing. Like, I actually, if I'm sitting in the front office, the interesting question I have about the 2022 23 season is I actually think you're one fix away from being a really solid team for the entire year. But I don't think we're in a 12 month window of thought. I think we're in a 36 to 48 month window of thought.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, look, rookies take two to three years to like really come around and completely start impacting your win total so that the future starters and future stars of that team aren't on the roster most likely if you're taking that kind of long-term view about it, right? So if someone's going to for one of those players now, yeah, it kind of, I get what you're saying. Like the window's not right now. You're not operating with this timeline. How do you kind of approach it? I, I don't know. They're a really intriguing team to me that they could go either way at the trade deadline.
0: So we'll see. All right, here's my one question for you. When CJ McCollum got traded to the New Orleans Pelicans, I did a bunch of research and showed that I was really concerned for the Pelicans about this trade because CJ without Dame had really struggled. And then CJ stuck it where the sun doesn't shine to me with this unbelievable 25 game stretch last year where all of his efficiency numbers went up. He shot his best percentage ever at 49% With a season he shot 39% from three, which was right on his exact career number. And everything seemed copacetic in those 26 games. His next 23, which have been this year is everything I was concerned about with CJ McCollum, that he suddenly isn't playing off Dame. He's the primary ball handler and he's shooting 40% from the field. And he's shooting 32% from three, which of these two is right.
1: So, there's no sugarcoating it. He's been like borderline bad to start this year. And I think there's some, it, call excuses or explanations, whatever you want for him. You know, he, I believe COVID during this stretch of time, he had been really sick for a couple of weeks and was not playing well. And then they ruled him out with like COVID related in illnesses or, you know, it's kind of foggy how and murky how they do some of this right now. And so I don't think he really had his legs under him or has had his legs under him for a while. I even did a show saying, I think they just need to sit him down for a couple of games and give him like three games off just to get some rest. When you're not sleeping, he's also got a newborn at home too, which I think does play <laughs> a factor into some of these players too, that he just looks like a dude who's tired, to be perfectly honest. He started to come around a little bit better. He wasn't great in this first game against the Jazz here but he was a little bit better I didn't like some of those it's got to shoot more than two threes but you could see him trying to score and kind of impact the game in a way he wasn't before he got going a little bit against the Phoenix Suns I think as the season goes on it's back from under him and he deals with these illnesses and just kind of gets better you'll see him going back to the CJ we saw for Pelicans at the end of last season, they're going to fully switch to point Zion, especially when Brandon Ingram comes back. And I think you've seen CJ want to show off that he's more than just a two that played off of Damian Lillard, that he has ball handling to him, that he can be a floor general. And I think it's safe to say like, that's not him, you know, use him off ball. You saw it on the opening possession of that game. When Zion had the ball on the right block started to post up and do an ISO and just kicked it right out to CJ it would wide open three and made it. And then you just need to do more simple things like that with him. It doesn't need to be too hard when you have Zion that has the kind of court gravity that he has out on the court. I think he'll be fine. I think it's just going to take a little bit for his legs to get under him and then for them to fully figure out what kind of offense they're going to run. But it's very clear that it's Zion, with the ball at the top of the three point line and let him do almost whatever he wants. And it's going to mean wide open shots for everybody else.
0: Okay. I talked to Willie green about this yesterday, so I'll tip my hat. If you end up running this for your Pelican fans, my jazz fans have heard more of this than they want to. I love the stuff you run. I think Willie runs some of the best stuff in the league. Your horn set, your a bunch of actions you run. I actually talked to Willie for a decent the inverted
1: of the pick season. and roll. They do with him and Larry or him and Jonas off the dribble handoff curling from the corner. Like they are just, it's not like complicated basketball, right? It's just very simple right. using your players in, in some very specific ways that work for them.
0: He's Jake Madison. Listen to him on Locked on Pels. He had a great show with Antonio Daniels earlier this week. If you want to catch that and learn more about the Pelicans, he's got a good show with Larry Nance today. Um, He recaps the jazz thumping of the Pelicans to on yesterday's show. You can listen to him lament how great we were against his Pelicans. Um, That's all at locked on Pelicans. I'm David Locke. We will do our Thursday late game watch next and update you on what I've watched late game NBA style coming up here on our final segment. Thanks to Jake Madison for joining us. This is locked on jazz. Thank you very much for making us your first listen of the day. Late game watch continues next. Special thanks to Jake Madison. That was a great deal of fun to have him on the program. All right, uh, we're running a little long today, so I want to just run through some of the late game. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we try to do late games. Um, Toronto-Sacramento last night. Sacramento was playing a two-high guard set with Sabonis in the middle. It's interesting. It spreads it out, and they're really using Sabonis to conduct. He's flashing the free throw, and then if it's not there, they'll run a pick-and-roll off it. That's kind of their primary set. Right now, it's good. Uh, De'Aaron Fox made two big plays. When they have Kevin Herter, they can use him. Um Sacramento's got a lot of bona fide options offensively. That that's totally legit. Toronto, I feel the exact opposite about. Um I, I I watch them a lot, and they play a lot of close games and they're super athletic, and they'll make some shots, but uh Siakam is just not quite a go-to guy. They're isolating him on the nail. There's no wiggle, he's just bullying himself in the lane. They finally turned to Scotty Brooks or uh, Scotty Barnes posting and conducting out of the post, which actually had some success. Uh, interesting. Another note on this one: Sacramento was switching one through five with Sabonis, which they weren't doing earlier this year. They Sacramento's really evolved. Uh, Mike Brown got ejected in this game, but they're they're learning how to play more and more games and understanding what how to play and what to do. Um, it's interesting to see. I, I think I think what we're seeing out of Sac right now is pretty legit. Like I I I kind of tipped this off a while back when I watched them late game. They were a disaster early in the year, and then they figured it out. And it was—it's noticeable. Sacramento right now is 15 and 12. I think they'll hover around 45, 46, 47 wins. I don't think there's anything that we're seeing out of Sac that's not a plus 41 win team to 45 win team um, right now. So pretty exciting um, for all the Sacramento Kings fans. Uh, Miami, Oklahoma City—I don't know how Miami wins these games. I—I I don't. I really don't have any idea. I watch them again. I feel like I watch a lot of them. Uh, they're late game. They're 14 and 15. They are—that's who they are. They're—they are not great. Um, last night, Oklahoma City just threw this one away. They had one field goal in the final four minutes. It was a Josh Giddey three. Shea was not his usual self, so maybe give Miami credit that they just make everyone else's life difficult. Tyler Hero made mammoth shots. Kyle Lowry's is so limited right now. He drives in the lane. He can't get up. He can't get passes out. He's so small. He's so limited. Um, Miami's short something right now, uh, unless I'm missing it when they put it all back together. But even when I've watched it, I talked about, it, I think, Tuesday this week, that when they're running Bam out of the elbow, they're not gaining out of it. Lowry, pick and roll, they're not getting much out of it. It's mid-range shot, is kind of it. And Butler was the one who usually bails them out, so it's Tyler Hero this time. So maybe what they do have is that they have just a bunch of different guys that can bail them out, but it doesn't feel good. The most interesting one of the night for me was watching Indiana Golden State. Steph was out. Draymond's out. This is kind of their new world. Steph got injured last night with a shoulder injury and doesn't look great, though if it's just subluxation, and stays in he could be back fairly soon if it's not staying in it's very serious um but I thought there was something interesting here there's something called the Spain pick and roll which is and this is not quite right the way to say it but I think this is like the new variation of the Spain pick and roll what we're seeing a ton of and the jazz do this too is teams playing corners filled three-man bunch right at the top of the circle we run a lot of this. We just really bunch up the middle. We have three guys there, and then it opens up the driving lanes on each side. Rick Carlisle did something a little different last night. There's something called the Spain pick and roll, and it's where you run a pick and roll, and then when they drop the big, like if you think back about Rudy just dropping, someone sets a pick on the... A third guy comes sets a pick on the backside of Rudy, which is supposed to allow the roll guy to get to the basket because Rudy's... Now, as it's evolved, what teams then did is they took, when you set the back pick on Rudy, the guy, they switched it. And so then somebody else picked up the roller. If it's a smaller player, it doesn't work very well. So that's one part. And then the, what the offense has evolved is you set the pick on Rudy, and then you shoot back out up top. And as the ball handler throws it back out, and then Rudy, because of the pick, has been switched. Rudy doesn't know what to do. He's got to gut go out to the three-point shooter, opens up a wide open three at the top. So it's kind of called the Spain pick and roll. It's been very effective. Teams have kind of figured it out a little bit. What I saw Rick Carlisle do is almost run it horizontally across the paint. He started with Halliburton high left and healed high right. And there was some weird little variation on it. And Turner is in the middle. And they're they're fluid. It's not like static. Halliburton's coming up. Everyone's moving. You kind of have to pause the screen to get where everybody is. Turner goes and sets a pick on healed. Halliburton has the ball high left. High left. Heald, Turner goes and sets a pick on Heald, and Golden State's not switching. So it didn't really do anything. It just got them trailing. It got them behind a step. Heald starts into the paint as though he's there. Turner flips and goes and sets a pick on Halliburton. And now Heald comes back and sets a pick on the back of Turner's man. And simultaneously, Halliburton comes off the Turner pick. Turner then can roll. Ha- Heal then pops back up top. You have the same action. You now have healed at the top of the key, top of the circle for three, Halliburton rolling, Turner rolling. In the first time they ran it, Turner actually rolls right into Heald's man. Golden State doesn't want to switch. This is where this, and Teal gets a wide open three. Next time they run it, same thing. They ran this five straight plays. And they scored on four of them. Halliburton at the top, Heald over here to the right. Pick comes. Heald comes off of it. Uh, Turner comes back to set the pick for Halberton. Golden State's now all. They got beat on at the time before for an open three. Golden State's all ready for these actions. Halberton rejects the pick. Goes wide in right in for a layup because Turner's guy was so worried about trying to figure out if he was going out for Heald or what he was doing that he never came over to that side. Halberton reads it perfectly. Gets an easy layup on the left side. Next time down, they run it with Jalen Smith, who's more of a, Actually, kind of a just similar version of Miles Turner. He actually just rolls the basket harder. He sets the pick. And this time, he just true rolls hard. Hield pops. Halliburton turns the corner. Big on Golden State's worried about the rolling of Smith because it's a little different than what Turner was doing. Other guys worried about going out with healed. Halliburton turns the corner, gets a layup on the right side. Pretty interesting little three-play sequence right there. From Rick Carlisle last night, Indiana. Indiana plays, that's pretty good. Healed. I mean, it's a pretty interesting three-play sequence right there with with Healed, Halliburton, and Turner. You've got a lot of pieces to it. Um, the one I'd be curious is if Milwaukee ran it with Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, either one, and Giannis. So Giannis is setting the pick rolling. Uh, Portis or Lopez is pulling to the top, bringing their big out of the middle, and Holiday's turning the corner. And then there's nobody at the rim to stop a lob to Giannis because you've got Portis or Lopez popping out top. Kind of interesting. Uh, there's probably some other team that fits, but that was my first thought. Is cool. That's something that the, the, the box should run. All right, it is Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much. Thanks to Jake Madison. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Fun night tonight. We look forward to it with the Pels. Have a great one. Special thanks to Jake Madison. That was a great deal of fun to have him on the program. All right. uh, We're running a little long today, so I want to just run through some of the late game Tuesdays and Thursdays. We try to do late games. Um, Toronto, Sacramento last night, Sacramento was playing a two high guard set with Sabonis in the middle. It's interesting. It spreads it out and they're really using Sabonis to conduct He's flashing the free throw. And then if it's not there, they'll run a pick and roll off it. That's kind of their primary set right now. It's good. Uh, D Aaron Fox made two big plays when they have Kevin Herter, they can use him. Um, Sacramento's got a lot of bona fide options offensively. That, that's totally legit. Toronto, I feel the exact opposite about. Um, I, I, I watch them a lot, and they play a lot of close games, and they're super athletic, and they'll make some shots. But uh, Siakam is just not quite a go-to guy. They're isolating him on the nail. There's no wiggle. He's just bullying himself in the lane. They finally turned to Scottie Brooks uh, Scotty Barnes posting and conducting out of the post, which actually had some success. Uh, interesting. Another note on this one, Sacramento was switching one through five with Sabonis, which they weren't doing earlier this year. They Sacramento's really evolved. Uh, Mike Brown got ejected in this game, but they're, they're learning how to play more and more games and understanding what, how to play and what to do. Um, it's interesting to see. I I think, I think what we're seeing out of Sac right now is pretty legit. Like I, I, I kind of tipped this off a while back when I watched them late game, they were a disaster early in the year and then they figured it out. And it was—it's noticeable. Sacramento right now is 15 and 12. I think they'll hover around 45, 46, 47 wins. I don't think there's anything that we're seeing out of Sac that's not a plus 41 win team to 45 win team um, right now. So pretty exciting um, for all the Sacramento Kings fans. Uh, Miami, Oklahoma City—I don't know how Miami wins these games. I—I I don't. I really don't have any idea. I watch them again. I feel like I watch a lot of them. Uh, they're late game. They're 14 and 15. They are. That's who they are. They're they are not great. Um, Last night, Oklahoma City just threw this one away. They had one field goal in the final four minutes. It was a Josh Giddey three. Shea was not his usual self, so maybe give Miami credit that they just make everyone else's life difficult. Tyler Hero made mammoth shots. Kyle Lowry's is so limited right now. He drives in the lane. He can't get up. He can't get passes out. He's so small. He's so limited. Um, Miami's short something right now, Uh, unless I'm missing it when they put it all back together. But even when I've watched it, I talked about, I think, Tuesday this week, that when they're running Bam out of the elbow, they're not getting out of it. Lowry, pick and roll, they're not getting much out of it. It's mid-range shot, is kind of it. And Butler was the one who usually bails them out, so it's Tyler Hero this time. So maybe what they do have is that they have just a bunch of different guys that can bail them out, but it doesn't feel good. The most interesting one of the night for me was watching Indiana Golden State. Steph was out. Draymond's out. This is kind of their new world. Steph got injured last night with a shoulder injury and doesn't look great, though if it's just subluxation, and stays in he could be back fairly soon if it's not staying in it's very serious um but I thought there was something interesting here there's something called the Spain pick and roll which is and this is not quite right the way to say it but I think this is like the new variation of the Spain pick and roll what we're seeing a ton of and the Jazz do this too is teams playing corners filled three-man bunch right at the top of the circle we run a lot of this. We just really bunch up the middle. We have three guys there, and then it opens up the driving lanes on each side. Rick Carlisle did something a little different last night. There's something called the Spain pick and roll, and it's where you run a pick and roll, and then when they drop the big, like if you think back about Rudy just dropping, someone sets a pick on the, a third guy comes, sets a pick on the backside of Rudy, which is supposed to allow the roll guy to get to the basket because Rudy's, Now, as it's evolved, what teams then did is they took, when you set the back pick on Rudy, the guy, they switched it. And so then somebody else picked up the roller. If it's a smaller player, it doesn't work very well. So that's one part. And then what the offense has evolved is you set the pick on Rudy, and then you shoot back out up top. And as the ball handler throws it back out, and then Rudy, because of the pick, has been switched. Rudy doesn't know what to do. He's got a gut out to the three-point shooter, opens up a wide open three at the top. So it's kind of called the Spain pick and roll. It's been very effective. Teams have kind of figured it out a little bit. What I saw Rick Carlisle do is almost run it horizontally across the paint. He started with Halliburton high left and healed high right. And there was some weird little variation on it. And Turner is in the middle. And they're they're fluid. It's not like static. Halliburton's coming up. Everyone's moving. You kind of have to pause the screen to get where everybody is. Turner goes and sets a pick on healed. Halliburton has the ball high left. High left. Heald, Turner goes and sets a pick on Heald and Golden State's not switching. So it didn't really do anything. It just got them trailing. It got them behind a step. Heald starts into the paint as though he's there. Turner flips and goes and sets a pick on Halliburton. And now Heald comes back and sets a pick on the back of Turner's man. And simultaneously, Halliburton comes off the Turner pick. Turner then can roll. Heald then pops back up top. You have the same action. You now have healed at the top of the key, top of the circle for three, Halliburton rolling, Turner rolling. In the first time they ran it, Turner actually rolls right into Heald's man. Golden State doesn't want to switch. This is where this, and Heald gets a wide open three. Next time they run it, same thing. They ran this five straight plays and they scored on four of them. Halliburton at the top, Healed over here to the right. Pick comes, Healed comes off of it. Uh, Turner comes back to set the pick for Halberton. Golden State's now all, they got beat on at the time before for an open three. Golden State's all ready for these actions. Halberton rejects the pick, goes wide in, right in for a layup because Turner's guy was so worried about trying to figure out if he's going out for heel or what he was doing that he never came over to that side. Halberton reads it perfectly, gets an easy layup on the left side. Next time down, they run it with Jalen Smith, who's more of a, actually kind of a just similar version of Miles Turner. He actually just rolls the basket harder. He sets the pick, and this time he just true rolls hard. Healed pops. Halliburton turns the corner. Big on Golden State's worried about the rolling of Smith because it's a little different than what Turner was doing. Other guys worried about going out with Healed. Halliburton turns the corner, gets a layup on the right side. Pretty interesting little three-play sequence right there from Rick Carlisle last night, Indiana. Indiana plays, that's pretty good. Healed, I mean, he, that's a pretty interesting three-play sequence right there with, with Healed Halliburton, and Turner. You've got a lot of pieces to it. Um, The one I'd be curious is if Milwaukee ran it with Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, either one, and Giannis. So Giannis is setting the pick rolling. Uh, Portis or Lopez is pulling to the top, bringing their big out of the middle, and Holiday's turning the corner. And then there's nobody at the rim to stop a lob to Giannis because you've got Portis or Lopez popping out top. Kind of interesting. Uh, there's probably some other team that fits, but that was my first thought. Is cool. That's something that uh, the, the box should run. All right, it is Locked On Jazz. Thanks very much. Thanks to Jake Madison. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Fun night tonight. We look forward to it with the Pels Have a great one.